Hey guys, new episode of Eastman's Elevated here. Uh, so today on the podcast, I have back on Dan Bacar. Uh, Dan Bacar is an Eastman staffer, and and he's just a great guy. I I went out to Wyoming a couple weeks ago, and Dan had me over at his house and cooked me some Axis backstraps, and we just had some really fun conversations, and then laid down a really good podcast. and And Dan, he's a diehard bow hunter, and and he'll hunt any species out there with his bow, but he really lives for hunting elk. Um, so that's what today's podcast is all about. We we dive deep down the rabbit hole uh, of hunting elk on public lands with with our archery gear, and and, and hunting public land bulls is tough. It, it is tough to get it done and and not your tag. And and Dan finds a way season after season to tag some really nice bulls. And so um, we just talk about elk from start to finish, uh, just how we're successful on public land. So just some great information in this one. I really had fun laying it down, and I know you guys are really going to enjoy listening into it. Um, today's podcast is brought to you by Matthews Bows. Uh, so Matthews are just building some great bows. Um, Dan's been using and in love with their bows for years. And and I just um, got my first Matthews last season. I shot a, a Halon 6 or Halon 7, excuse me. Uh, super happy with it. Really forgiving bow. Killed a couple animals with it. Um, and then this year I got the new Halon 6 32 axle axle. And so I've got that thing all set up and ripping arrows. And man, that thing is shooting really good for me. I've never shot a six inch brace, but I'm getting a, a ton of performance out of it and still getting those forgiving uh, consistent groups that I'm looking for. So can't say enough good things about the Matthews bows and thanks to those guys for supporting the podcast. Um, so over there at the Eastman's office, uh, we've got the new Eastman's hunting journal coming out. So it's the sheep issue. So a really cool issue. I've talked about it before, but, but Dan's got a really good article in it for the blue collar hunter to, for judging sheep. Um, so this is just a great one for me. I, you know, I kind of know what I'm looking for in a big sheep. You know, I know, you know, I like the wide flare ones and, uh, broom tips and, you know, I like them to curl quite a bit, but I don't really know what they score or, or what's good for the unit that I'm hunting. And so to be able to judge sheep is huge. And, and Dan wrote an article that just makes it easy for guys to actually judge sheep. So, um, you know, I know this is going to be a huge benefit to me and it'll be a, a good benefit to you guys. And, and hopefully, hopefully I draw a sheep tag this year and I, I really get a huge benefit out of this article. I have just always wanted to draw a sheep tag, but, but this is just really good knowledge for us guys to have. And, and Dan wrote a really good article about it. So I can't ra- wait to read it. And, uh, so it comes out in this sheep issue. Um, so yeah, with that, boy, let's get this thing rolling and get right into some elk hunting. Um, here we go, Eastman's Elevated, Dan Picard. Okay, I'm live with Dan Picard. Dan, how are you this morning? I'm good, I'm good. How are you, Brian? Yeah, I'm doing good. Good. Well, I wanted to sit down today. I wanted to talk some elk hunting with you. You're such a good elk hunter and successful year after year. Boy, you sure killed a nice bull. I was over at your house last night for dinner and saw that nice bull you killed last year. In fact, you got a couple of them. So I just wanted to kind of lead in with, you know, how you look for elk units or what you look for in an elk hunting spot when you're looking. Do you look for open country? Do you look for timbered country, high population, low population? But what's, you know, what's some of the criteria for you when you're looking for a good elk hunting spot? It's kind of evolved over the years a little bit, depending on where I'm hunting, whether it's Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. But for me success really started to increase when I started to hunt open country. And so usually that's what I gravitate to 
whether I'm Google Earthing or I know a unit or looking for a new unit, I check open country first. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that does for me is it takes the whole, the elk are talking, you know, out of the equation. Because if they are talking, great. But if they're not talking, that's fine too. I can still hunt them, you know, rather than if you're in the timber or something, Western Montana or North Idaho. The elk aren't talking. I mean, yeah, you can wander around and call blind or sit water, but that's about all you can do. Man, I'm with you. I mean, I, you know, I've never been afraid of the deep, dark timber. And when there's bulls in there, you bet I'll go hunt them. But I'm the same way. I love hunting that open country you know, it's just like I always say, if I can see them, I can kill them, you know, and if, if I can't see them, it's like uh, trying to move in and you just don't know how to move in that thick timber. And like you say, when they're not calling, you don't have a play. And so if you hunt that more open country, it doesn't matter what the elk are doing. I mean, they, it could be post rut and you're still going to get a play because you can see them and try to move in front of them and try to get a play. So I'm with you. The more open the country is, the more you can see usually the better the elk hunting is for me, or at least the more successful I can be with a bow. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the more open it is, the better chances you are to, you know, kill them and, and to be successful. And I think a big factor with that too is when you have open country, the wind is a lot more consistent. It's a lot more stable. You don't have the trees and the timber and, you know, whatever other, you know, geographic load. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, just stuff that... Yeah, the, the topography the that, that, that pulls the winds yeah. and then yeah. the thermals and the directionals start fighting each other in different places. Exactly. Or if you try to hunt elk on the lee side of a windy ridge, you know, good luck in there. Exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah, I mean, they're going to wind you every time. I had this this bowl I used to hunt and it, it was this really cool spot in the wilderness and I need to get back in there and check things, but it's kind of this back basin on the lee side of a windy ridge. And there was always elk in there and always big bulls in there. But that wind swirled so bad in there that I don't know how many times I failed in there. A dozen times before I finally said, I can't go in there anymore. Every time I go in and you check the wind from the ridge and you get down in there and it's just swirling. And every time all I can see is elk asses going away from me. You know, it's like I always spook them in there. So, you know, in that spot, like I've actually waited. There's another south facer that rolls over that they'll feed on or move to or transition to. So I almost let them just sit in that bold basin in that pocket and rut. And then I'll hunt them as they come out or as they move over to this south facer, which is on a dominant wind ridge where the wind blows up, where then you can actually kill an elk. But that's such a big deal. I never thought about that. But you're right. That open country, it's such it's so much more of a consistent wind in that country. Yeah, yeah. The topography, it just channels the wind and it's just straightforward. And like like you said, going back to actually, okay, how, how do I kill this bull in the wide open country? And usually, you know, when they go to bed, east faces, north faces, and the wind's probably going to be swirly mm-hmm. on those. And, you know, when they come out, you just hang out and wait until they're on the ridges or on those south aspects. Mm-hmm. And usually you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, for sure. So, so so when you're trying to kill a bull, then you'll hunt him in his feeding features then. You'll hunt him when he's up and on his feet. Yep, yep. Unless, like you say, if, if, you, can, if you can spot a bull or a herd them laying down and they're in a good spot mm-hmm. then i might you know consider a stock going in there depending on how many eyes or whatever you know if he's by himself i might go oh, game on yeah it's like a muley buck like exactly that. yeah exactly so it's just you know it's, it's probably gonna get serious but 
if I can help it, I wait for the, you know, on their feet feeding or in that transition stage, set up an ambush. Try to get in front of them. Catch them from bedding to feeding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly how I play it too. If I can bet a bull and I know his exact position, that's when I'll make a play and I'll go all in, you know, if he's in a good spot, like you say, with the cows or I'll sneak into range and let him check his cows and, you know, I might get a shot in there. Um, but yeah, the majority of my bulls are when they're up and on their feet and up and feeding, which is yeah. different than like high country mule deer hunting. I'm always trying to bed those deer and then stock them where elk, it's like, uh, you hunt them on their feet, either in the morning and the evening and two, those are tricky winds, too, because that's when those thermals are switching around. And so, you know, I think wind is the biggest challenge with that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And especially in in that bedding zone, I was just thinking while you're talking how, how many of the bulls I've killed in their bedding area. And I was thinking the last five bulls I've killed, one of them has been in the bed, in his bed. Mm-hmm. And just like you say, slip in on the herd. He's up checking cows and get an arrow in them. But mm-hmm. other than that, they've all been on their feet. They've all been heading to feed, if not feeding. And that's just where they're the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and um, I remember that Montana hunt you did that I that I watched. And it's been a few years now, but you killed like this 300-inch bull in Montana. And you had the herd bedded, but you couldn't get close enough for a shot. And you staged up in the rocks and then... I remember right you forgot your jacket and froze up there or something right <laughs> yeah that turned into a kind of a, a goat rope with that one because we were we were on that bull for five or six hours and you know we thought we were going to kill him and we we did the dumb thing and dropped our packs mm-hmm. you know back and then sure enough off we go we're following this herd of elk you know to you know off in the distance for another mile and yeah, we sat up there on that rock point and got windy. Yeah, it got a little windy and it got a little cold and I had one little skimpy coat on and <laughs> it's like, well, we're here now. We yeah. might as well stick it out and it paid off. But Yeah, no, you put a perfect arrow in that bull, but it's funny how you learn over time, isn't it? You oh, make yeah. mistakes and you now you'd never leave without a jacket tied around your waist or something just because you learn your lesson and up there freezing and shivering waiting to get a shot oh, at yeah. a bull. That's not conducive to executing a good shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was actually, yeah, I remember that specifically. I was doing push-ups to try to stay warm because oh, I was shivering so much. That I was like, I don't know how I'm going to shoot this thing. Mm-hmm. I told Jordan, he was filming. I was like, I'm going to draw back and see how it feels, <laughs> but no guarantees. Yep. Well, you get that adrenaline running through your veins when that bull's yeah. finally on his feet and somehow that shot goes off. Yeah. Well, yeah, that too. I, I think I got to the point where I was like, I don't really care if I kill this thing or not. I just want to get warm. <laughs> but Yeah. Well, and, and that was a case where you had bedded the herd and you snuck up and you got within striking distance and then you waited for them to get on their feet because they were in the open, yeah. you know, and, and then when they did get on their feet, they, I think they came at you, didn't they? Or fed towards yeah. you or something? Yeah. And we kind of talked about that last podcast, you know, I'll get within, oh, 75 to 120 yards, kind mm-hmm. of in the zone. And, and usually they're going to have to make the last mistake mm-hmm. and do their part to come in. And that's exactly what happened on a good, on that hunt. That's a good example. Mm-hmm. He, I think he was bedded at 92 yards. That mm-hmm. whole herd he was, and he was, I mean, he was dead asleep, head on the ground, sleeping like a baby. And you know, two and a half hours later, he fed up. And I think that one, it was a little far. I think it was like 69 yards on that shot. Mm-hmm. So kind of my max range, I want to shoot at anything. But yep. 
he, I mean, he, that's the only way I got him is he closed the distance for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's so awesome. Well, and I'm not afraid, like we're talking, we like to hunt open country and open country. You can just keep track of those elk better. You can keep with yep. the herd better. Um, you see where they go and, and it's amazing. Even in wide open country, they sure find how to bed where you can't see them. They just oh, find yeah. the thickest piece of crap they can to go bed in and hide in. Yeah, you know, they just almost barricade themselves in that thick stuff. Absolutely, a couple of the I mean places they always go for the timber if they can. If it's around, but you know you have all this wide open country, and then you have a little patch of timber on the north face. Mm-hmm. And that's where they go to. Every that's time. where they're at. Yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure. But yeah, I'm not afraid of wide open country. I mean, I think you know the biggest challenge with elk is wind, or or you know I guess there's a lot of challenges locating them, wind. But then I think, too, the toughest thing with killing big, mature bulls is outsmarting the cows. Like, there is so many eyes in the herd, you know, and whether he's got, you know, eight cows or whether he's got 30, it's so tough with that many eyes where, like, a giant muley buck, he might be with a couple other bucks or by himself, but a big bull, very rarely do you find him by themselves. Usually they've got the the herd in there, and so you've kind of got to be able to move and maneuver around a whole herd with a bunch of eyeballs in there. And, and most of the time when I get busted, it's not the great big bull that busts me. It's one of his cows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The lead cow or, you know, a century or whatever. And if you're killing that bull, you have to, you know, hypothetically kill his whole herd before you get him mm-hmm. just because you got to outsmart all of them. Absolutely. And, you know, that's a whole different factor of difficulty thrown in there for sure. Yep. And that when to move in and when to go all in is such a, it's such a tough one to battle with. Like you got to hunt elk aggressively, but not recklessly, you know, you just can't. And I, gosh, I remember this big bull. I think it's been two years ago now. And I mean, he was just a monster, like one of those, I think he was a seven by eight or a eight by eight and points don't really matter, but just a giant bull with a bunch of tines up top and this great bull. And, and how I kind of hunt elk is, you know, you hear him bugle and I just keep kind of moving towards him until I can get eyeballs on him and get a locate on him. But I could hear this bull and he's just got one of those growler bugles, you know, that just makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up when you hear him. And so you know, I was catting and mousing through there and ran into some satellites along the way and then finally started to get in close and I didn't catch him till like late in the morning, like nine o'clock or something and thermals are starting to switch and now I finally got the herd located and saw that bull and he's just a giant and I, I scoot in and worked down the draw on him and, and like you say, I got in range of the cows where I had the cows at 50, 60 and I can see that big bull and he's checking cows around this bottom but he's out at 90 or 100 checking all these cows and and I sat there within range, and in hindsight, with him in his bed, I mean, I don't know that I played any different. I mean, I almost, after I blew him out, I thought, well, I should have gone up on the ridge and waited farther out and then waited to, you know, move in. But those thermals were just switching around, and, you know, it was 20 minutes in range, and then finally that wind just switched and down the draw and blew them all out. But it's so tough to know when to move in, but you almost just got to... You just got to go hunt elk. You got to just yeah. be aggressive. I mean, you can't really stand back and watch them too long. I mean, if the winds are right, you just got to make a play and go get into the herd and see if you can make something happen. Absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head again. It's, if, if you have a good wind and if they bed down like that, or even if they're not bedded down, every time I'm going to go for it. Mm-hmm. If I have a good wind. Yep. Every time. There's mm-hmm. no question. But if it's, you know, if they're in a marginal spot, and as far as terrain goes and visibility goes and the winds, it'd be probably not going. Mm-hmm. 
And it, but it's tough sometimes too, because if they're bedded down in a bottom like that, and you're up on a ridge glassing them, and you got, of course, you got a nice prevailing wind on the ridge, but in the bottom, it could be a whole different story. Oh yeah. And so that's a gamble too that you have to take. You know, is it worth it to blow them out? You know, thinking that possibility, or maybe I'll do it and just go down there anyway if I have really good terrain features to work with mm-hmm. and just try it anyway. Oh, I hate that when you have a bull in a really good spot and a bad win where you're sitting there watching him just go, oh, man, I could kill that thing. I, how could he make that kind of mistake? He's just right there. I could kill right over top of that ridge and then the wind's wrong and there's just nothing you can do about it. Yeah. I hate that. You're trying to talk yourself into it. You're like, oh yeah, I can make that stock. Yeah. I can make that stock and the wind's switching. You're like, ah. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you, you make that mistake. I mean, how many times do you go all in in the wrong time? and you end up blowing them out and they wind you and go, gosh, I'm an idiot. How come I didn't see that? Or how come I didn't listen to my intuition or whatever? But that's where elk hunting is so tough because you got to be aggressive and you got to get in with the herd and you got to go play the game and just see what happens. But you end up blowing a lot of bulls, you know, but I think that's just bow hunting elk. I mean, you can't sit back for 10 days and watch this bull and finally he makes a mistake and you're in. They just travel so much yeah. country and move so much that a lot of times if you don't take your opportunity to make a play, he can be gone anyways. And nobody spooked him out, just moving through yeah. country. Yeah, that's the thing, especially for the difference between elk and deer is how nomadic elk are mm-hmm. and how they can be, especially if they get bumped. I mean, they can go for a couple miles. Oh, yeah. Or you might not even ever see them again. Yep. And so, yeah, that's another good thing to keep in mind is if you finally locate a bull you want to hunt, you've got to kind of consider that they might not be there tomorrow. Yes. Especially if they're moving or, or you know, you never, it's a brand new bull from the day before. He was never there and he shows up all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. You better consider going to kill him. Yep. Because tomorrow he could be gone forever. Absolutely. Well, and I do like... You know, within that same day, like sometimes in the morning, you just can't catch that herd to make a good play and they disappear in that thick stuff. I love to know where a bull is and then start formulating a plan for afternoon, evening and try to make a play that way. Or a lot of times, you know, elk, they do get up throughout the day and feed around. And, you know, if they're in the thick timber, sometimes it's tough to get in striking distance and make a play. But a lot of times those elk will get up and feed, you know, within a couple, two to four hours, they'll get up and feed around that spot they're at. And that's a good time to kill one. And especially if you can hunt one middle of the day like that, then your winds are really good. You know, your thermals are really consistent. Yep. Your directionals are consistent. That's a good time to kill a bull. Yep. Yep. I think, yeah, I, I can think of two bulls that I killed in some deer that have been one, two o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Just because I know I'm going to have that consistent wind. Mm-hmm. You know, that afternoon wind is pretty predictable once it gets going it is yep and that can really play to you know to your benefit well and like we were talking before wind is the toughest challenge with elk so if you can remove that variable with a steady wind you're already ahead of the game i'll take a less desirable spot if i've got a really good wind yeah. than i will a really good spot you know with a swirling wind. oh absolutely yeah absolutely and something else to consider i was just thinking about too what i've really paid attention to over the last few years is I can be one spot in one spot on the side of a mountain in the sun and I have a nice up thermal mm-hmm. and I can be 20 feet to the left in the shade and it's a down thermal mm-hmm. just from that temperature difference of the solar radiation affects the thermals in the wind, especially on those east faces and stuff. Oh, you're so right. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's what you got to get really good at when you're hunting elk is 
predicting what the winds are doing, trying to read the winds. And, and there's more to it than just taking a squeeze bottle and puffing some smoke in the air. Like there is so much more to it. Like the more you learn about the winds, the better the elk hunter you are. So I like what you were saying, sunny hillsides and suns, what draws those thermals uphill. It warms that, you know, warms the, the ground right there and warms the air on the ground level. And then that air starts to rise. And that's what creates those uphill thermals. Well, vice versa, when it's shaded, you know, it's cooler. And so that air starts dropping, you know, and and, and along with that, um, you know, I also find that like when storms roll in, those thermals will switch around when the clouds, when it clouds up yep. and it's going to rain or something, all of a sudden those thermals will go from uphill to straight downhill and switch around. So those storms throughout a day, you know, really adjust those thermals as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's another factor that you always have to be you know, on, on alert with all that stuff, you almost got to be like, always looking around over your shoulder, like you're on crack or something, paying attention, <laughs> especially in the mountains. Cause you know, it's always, it's always changing Yeah, and you have to be like that. Otherwise you're going to be chasing your tail in a lot of situations. Yeah. And I think those winds, like it's just taking tabs of them all the time and kind of, you know, I think about it about two different winds. We talk about thermal winds and thermal winds, uh, you know, are, are controlled. They move the most in the morning even, but they're controlled by warm air and cool air, and they'll pull up the draws or pull down the draws depending on what the thermals are doing. And then you have directionals, and directionals, you know, they, they usually come from, you know, a dominant direction like where I'm at in Montana. It's usually a southwest wind. If we get a front coming in, you know, it's a north wind. And so, you know, when you're up in the mountains and you're hunting elk, like you just keep tabs of what those thermals are doing and when they're switching and, and, and how they're pulling down the draw you're hunting. And then also pay attention to the directionals and how they're hitting that hillside. And so, you know, once you start to kind of understand the winds and you get into day three, day four, day five of elk hunting, you, you can kind of know what those winds are doing. And then too, when you're down in those draws and you're crossing a draw or you're crossing pay attention to what that wind's doing at what time. And like you say, you almost got to be on crack the way you just, you're always monitoring the wind. You're always seeing what it doing. And, and you're, you're trying to say, okay, is this a directional wind that I'm, I'm feeling in here? Is this a thermal wind? Okay. This is what it's doing. This is probably what it's doing where that bowl's at. But yeah, I think the better you are at reading winds, just the better elk hunter you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt. And that, that goes right along with anything, you know, if the better you are at reading wind, the better you are at hunting anything. Oh, yeah. That's the number one thing for bow hunters, right, is the wind. It is. Yeah. So, yeah, if you can read the wind, you're on your way to being probably a successful bow hunter. Mm -hmm. And, well, and I know, you know, just like I was I was telling you about that wilderness spot where that wind always swirls, I, I pay so much attention to the way the dominant wind is. And if I can catch out like say on a south facer and I have a south wind, so the wind's blowing right against it, it's just such a more consistent wind than, than if you're over a ridge or around a basin. And so I'm always looking for critters on those dominant wind spots because I know I can dial in that wind. And if they're on the lee side of a windy ridge, I mean, that's where I may back out and opt to not go play or, you know, maybe play in the evening when I got a downhill thermal pulling down or, but I, I'm real leery of those lee wind sides as I am those dominant wind sides. I find them on the dominant wind sides. I can kill that bull. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, and that goes with deer too. We kind of talked about that before, you know, hunting here in Wyoming in mm -hmm. the high country is hunting those, those West aspects and the dominant wind sides. Yes. It's just, 
one one more variable that seems to be in your favor more consistently yes. than on the leeward side. Yes, for sure. Yeah, no, that wind is such a huge deal. But I do, I'm like you, I like that more open country. You seem to get more consistent winds in there. And I get yep. winded way less in that open country than I do in the mountains. I mean, half the time, you know, and not that, I mean, they're all in the mountains, but just that heavy timber, heavy drawed mountain winds, you know, man, oh man. I mean, I've been busted more time, uh, times in that stuff. And it's so frustrating when you find a good bull and you're trying to think of a good plan and you hardly get in there and hardly get into them and bust them because of wind. I just yeah. hate that. But that's just part of bow hunting. Right, right. And that, yeah, that's just the way it goes, especially hunting in the mountains. And man, it's it's tough. That's, I, I love sticking to the open country for that fact right there. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So um, do you call a lot of these at, at elk or, or when do you call? You know, I really don't call very much mm -hmm. in, in the wide open stuff, especially in the wide open stuff I don't call. Mm -hmm. The number one thing is if an elk can see where you're calling from, mm -hmm. he's not going to come in. Yeah, I mean, for just, sure. He's not going to. They're not dumb. And so if I do call, I have some pretty aggressive terrain features to work with, whether mm -hmm. I'm calling from around the corner of mm -hmm. a ridge or, you know, anything that, you know, you know features big rocks, trees, whatever. Anything where that bull has to come up to a spot to see where that calling is coming from. And that spot, you better be able to kill him mm -hmm. there. Yep. Otherwise, there's no point in calling. Nope. I'm with you. You need like a blockade, like you yep. say, like a ridge line or a patch of timber, or something that keeps his curiosity going to where he's got to come to the top of the ridge to see where the calls are coming from. And that's where you're going to shoot him from. But uh, I'm with you on that. Um, yeah, I really like to, yeah, if I'm going to call, yeah, you better have something, some feature in front of you or something blocking and kind of have a plan where you're going to call them too. Yep. Yep. And here's a good example for, for you last year. I was, it was day one of my hunt here in Wyoming and we slipped in on this North face and it was burned timber and there was some good terrain there, some draws and hills and some, you know, thick old dead burned timber and this bull was below me about 80 yards down below the hill could not see him i knew he was down there and so i was like well it's a good situation to call he was bugling pretty hot and so i gave out a couple cow calls and then and uh, a bugle and he you know answered right back and he kind of hung up down there even though he couldn't see where that calling was come from coming from but what he did was he ran down across the creek and ran up onto the open hillside 200 yards, you know, across from me and stared right into that timber where we were at. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, it's, I mean, it's burned. You can see in there and he knew that. Mm -hmm. So he's standing on that open face, staring into the burned timber and he knows where that calling was coming from. <laughs> and yep. guess what? He stared at us for a while and I didn't call once he got over there and he just kind of went to feeding, but they're smart. Oh man. Smart. Yes, they sure are. Well, and boy, they, um, when you do, you know, and I used to call a lot more and I, now I'm, I'm pretty sparingly with my, with my calls. If I use them at all, a lot of times I just like to spot and stock nowadays, but it just seems like they come in on such pins and needles when they come into a call, you know, you're really rolling the dice. And even when you get a bull to commit, when he comes in, a lot of times he's forward facing, these pins and needles looking for that call. And a lot of times you get him in bow range, but you don't get a shot. He just doesn't offer a shot because he's on such pins and needles when he comes in. Absolutely. And I don't know if that has anything to do with how pressured the elk are. Like they'll, oh. they'll still be, you know, callable 
mm-hmm. when they're pressured, but they'll be extra, you know, cautious like that. Like they're on crack, right? They're like looking <laughs> around, like still antsy. Like you see them twitching. Yeah. You see that when they're like, they think they smell something. They oh, twitch. man. Yeah, right. And that's the, the thing too is like, why do that to yourself? Yeah. If you don't have to. Yes. I mean, it's just hurting you, if anything. Yeah. So in, in open country, I, if there's no reason to let that elk know you're there if you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, and, and like you like you say, low-pressure areas and high-pressure areas, low-pressure elk and high-pressure elk are two totally different species. Mm-hmm. I mean, hunting high-pressure elk, um, you know, they remind me more of an antelope, the way they look around, and they don't come into calls that well. But, you know, you get in the middle of the wilderness where a bull's never heard a call, well, then that cow call works pretty good. He'll come take a look and not so pins and needles, like you say. And so I think you got to kind of adjust your tactics to the elk you're hunting, whether you're hunting low pressure or high pressure elk. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And that was a good example. Last year, I was way in the backcountry hunting elk last year. And, you know, there you can just hit the cow call. If there's a bull by himself, he's probably going to come running over like a puppy dog. Oh, wow. Like it's stupid, Mm -hmm. stupid. But most of the places where I hunt, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. Like they, if, if they come in, they're on pins and needles like that. And it's just a totally different animal. They are. They're a different animal. Yeah. I noticed, like I say, I hunt high pressure elk now and um, in a lot of spots that I hunt. And I hunt some low pressure elk too, but those high pressure elk, they're just a different species. All the cows are looking, they know there's humanoids walking around trying to stick an arrow at them. Yeah. And they know it and they know it's danger and they really keep a good eye for for it and they're tough to kill but you get in those low pressure spots it's amazing what you can get away with you know i'll i'll hunt both every season and i'll go when i go find some low pressure elk i can get away with murder in there you know <laughs> yeah, I, can, yeah. I can move around on them and i can you know move through openings with the stuff that i never get away with on high pressure elk and so you really got to know what type of elk you're hunting and kind of adjust your hunting and and uh, you know not that you not that you're ever reckless, but you can just get away with more with those low pressure elk. And like you say, they call better. It, it is um, important to have a cow call in your pocket and blow on that thing a few times or maybe a bugle because they just haven't heard a bunch of calls and they'll, they might come in and check you out. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, how educated they are. And it's a night and day difference. <laughs> you're talking about this. I'm just like chuckling to myself because when you do do that and you hunt high pressure elk and then go hunt unpressured elk, you have to totally kind of reprogram on your tactics and your thought process mm-hmm. because like you said, I, I mean, I was going back to what you're saying last year with these elk, they're, they're not pressured at all. And I mean, I'm walking out in the open kind of <laughs> testing that, you know, yeah. and I do that too in situations if I'm not going to kill a bull or if there's cows out there or whatever, and it's not a big deal. If I blow them, mm-hmm. I test stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'll walk in the open or, you know, Test my camo out. Mm-hmm. I'll move through a meadow in my camo mm-hmm. and just go really slow, you know, walk five feet and then stop and glass the elk and see if they notice me. Mm-hmm. I did that last year, too, just to kind of test out how wary they were. Oh, that's a good tactic. You're seeing yeah. what you can get away with and what you can't. Yeah. And, and you're, yeah, you're kind of testing their senses and testing how, how alert they are and how they can pick you up, testing your camo. Yeah, I like that. You're kind of testing the situation and, and then you know, you kind of pull your information or pull your tactics from that and what you can get away with. And you know that you can kind of skirt around the herd here or there. Exactly. Exactly. You put that in your toolbox and you use it later, you know, when you're out hunting, 
on in that geographic location where you're hunting how the elk act, how where they are, and those little tests like that. Those are just more tools that help you, you know, when it's time to kill. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. Well, and I, I love to kill elk when they're, you know, we talked about bedding and feeding. I love to kill elk when they're out feeding and running around, like in a, in a meadow. It just seems like when they're feeding, you know, they're they, like right away in the morning or, you know, later in the evening, it's like they finally get to where they're headed. And then they just work this feature. They work a bowl or a hillside and they're kind of just there and you know they're there. They're not really moving, you know, and, but your window to try to kill that elk is so small because you see them a ways off. And by the time you get there, all of a sudden they're transitioning into, you know, moving into their bedding area and they feed along the way and they bugle and rut along the way. But that's a different hunt than when they're feeding in a meadow. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what it's kind of hard to judge that sometimes, too. And if you do locate them from a distance, just getting over there and keeping tabs on what they're doing. I mean, it's an ever evolving animal. The herd as a one. Yes. An evolving animal that's hard to, you know, really perfect. Isn't it? And, yeah, yeah, you don't. Well, and it, you know, it's. It's always tough to chase elk, but it seems like you're always chasing elk. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? And you don't want to, right? Yeah, exactly. So you're like, okay, I don't want to be what you want to be one step ahead of them, but mm-hmm. it seems like you're always one step behind them. Always. Yeah. I don't know why that is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the same way. Like I don't want to chase them and I don't want to be behind the herd, but I'm always behind the herd, you know, ninety percent of the time I'm chasing where they're heading. But um, yeah, I think when you can catch them and they're just in that feeding zone, and like you say, it's a short, small window that you don't catch them at very often, but if they're focused on that feeding and that rutting like down in a meadow, you know, you know they're going to stay there and you know they're going to be there for a while, and then you can kind of adjust your play to that. That's my favorite tactic when hunting them, but like you say, it's such a small window that you end up hunting them in transition a lot. Yep, yep, and, and that's... For me, too, is what I've killed the most is in that transition zone. Is it? Yeah, okay. ab- absolutely. And and a lot of times, you know, if you see, if you put some elk to bed and you're like, all right, they're going to come back out here. They're going to, you know, I'll be sitting here waiting for them. They always do something different. <laughs> yeah, you know, right? it, it really seems like they do compared to like hunting deer or whatever. You mm-hmm. can, they kind of have a pattern. Mm-hmm. But like elk just kind of do elk things, you know, it's just different all the time. It is. And so I think that plays a huge role of being one step behind them. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest hurdle for me is to kill a bull every year, no matter what area I'm hunting is just getting that one step ahead of them and, and, you know, thinking ahead of them and thinking, right. Mm -hmm. And that's what it always leads to a successful hunt is that being that one step in front of them and getting lucky because usually it's just luck you know, mm-hmm. and when they do something that's not expected, like they always do, you're probably not going to kill one. Mm-hmm. No, that's so right. Um, yeah, it's trying to be one step in front of them and trying to figure out where they're headed or where they're going to go to bed. I mean, that's the best way to kill a big bull because you do, you have so many eyes is to get in front of them, let that herd work right by you to try to cut them off, get in front of them, you know, but you got to know where they're headed and you usually spot them from a ways off. And that's a, that's a tough one. Like you say, a lot of times I spend chasing them, just trying to see where the herd's going to go, seeing where they're going to bed. And then maybe, you know, you got a really good play in the evening. Like that's one of my favorite plays is when you can bed a bull down, he's not in a good spot 
but you're going to get that afternoon, evening play on them. You know the herd's right there, and you just kind of sit back and watch and just wait and go, okay, I think they're going to come out this way. I think they're going to do this. I'm going to stage right yeah. here, and you get that whole herd kind of working at you. I mean, that's when you kill bulls is it, when you're a step in front of them. Exactly. That's how it happens all the time, and it's just playing the odds. It's a roll of the dice, mm-hmm. and eventually persistent persistence kills and mm-hmm. now you're going to catch up with those odds if you know you've been behind them the whole time or blowing stocks or whatever that sooner or later you're going to be sitting there waiting mm-hmm. and sure enough they're going to come out where they're vulnerable and where you want them to come mm-hmm. and usually that's, yeah that's your opportunity yeah well and that's where chasing elk um pays off is when you can i like to call it like a I heard it referred to, I think by like Chuck Adams a long time ago, but coyoting the herd, you know, and he, he likes to just be a coyote and not try to kill that herd as he's chasing or following them. He's not trying to actually kill that bull and catch up to him because they travel country so much. I mean, when you're chasing the herd from the back, I mean, you're, you're never really going to catch up to that herd and kill that bull until they stop. And once they get to where they're going to bed, they'll kind of feed and mingle around a little bit. And that's a good time to kill a bull. But when they're moving from feeding to bedding or bedding to feeding, good luck trying to catch up with that bull from behind him and kill him. So Chuck's deal was is that he'd coyote the herd and he'd stay just where he can kind of see the herd and anywhere from 100 to 300 yards. I like to just move with that herd as they're moving and just keep an eye on them. And they go over a hill and then, you know, I'm right there going over that hill. And you really got to slow down when you come up over the top and relocate them. But I love coyoting that herd and figuring out where they're going to bet at. Because a lot of times they'll go miles to their bedding zone, a lot farther than you think. And they won't come out to the same feeding feature, do the same thing. And so if you can kind of coyote that herd and stay with them, you know, eventually they're going to slow down, mingle around, you'll get an opportunity, or they're going to bed where you know where the herd is, where you can make a play, or you make a play in the evening because you know where they put away and you got a pretty good idea or at least a good guess at which way they're going to come out. You know where elk are. Yeah. Um, but that's a lot of a lot of the time how I kill bulls. Yeah, it reminds me of a couple of years ago in Idaho, there's this herd bull, big six by seven, and he had like 20 cows, I think, and we did exactly that is we coyoted them mm-hmm. for probably three and a half hours. And they finally laid down at like 11 o'clock and they laid down in a steep Canyon. Mm-hmm. And that's, it was probably the worst place for them. Mm-hmm. And the best place for me to kill them oh, is gotcha. they just bedded in a good spot. I mean, so this is a herd bull with 20 cows there. All the cows are laid, you know, scattered around down in the bottom of this Canyon. Mm-hmm. And it's not a big Canyon. So I can shoot from the rim down in there. Oh, wow. And sure enough, he was kind of milling around kind of the last one to lay down, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning, middle of the rut, checking cows. And he was pretty calm and I slipped in there and killed him. But that's what it was, was just staying with them and knowing I'm probably not going to get an opportunity by dogging them. So I just coyote and just stayed with him. And I actually, this is another good one too. Some of the cows spotted me in that stock Mm -hmm. and they barked at me. Oh, wow. And I was like, you know, gigs up. Usually that's what you would think. But Mm -hmm. I barked back. I had my bugle and I did the bark Mm -hmm. back and it calmed them right down. Oh, wow. I've I've heard that before. I haven't tried that. I can't tell you how many times I've had an elk bark at me and the gig's up. Maybe it was you that told me that, but I heard that somewhere that you bark back at them and then they know you're another elk. Like they're barking to see what you are. You bark back and they go, oh, it's another elk. 
Yeah. Huh? Yep. How? Oh gosh, I got to practice that sound. I'm not very good at the. You know, it's such a weird it sound. Is. Yep. Do you do it with your mouth or with a recall? Yeah. yeah. It's a. I have a diaphragm, and then you know, like a you know bugle tube. It's just like you would, in, you know, to make a bugle. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of like I mean, it's hard to reproduce with just your mouth. But oh yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah and it's you know it, it, that nice echo sound. Yes. It's, it's just like a. I can't remember the terminology specifically, but it's like a. An, an identify bark mm-hmm. like they bark to say okay that doesn't look right identify yourself mm-hmm. and you bark back and maybe end that with a couple mews mm-hmm. and it calms right down oh man put how them, cool put it's... them back to sleep and off they went again kind of wiggling towards their bed and i stayed with them that saved that whole thing oh my gosh yeah what a great tip yeah. i do i haven't had that in my bag of tricks i heard that somewhere I, I, I'm going to write that one down. That is going yeah, in my bag yeah. of tricks for next year to bark back when they bark at you. That's such a good tip. Yep. Yep. And that doesn't work. If they wind you yeah. and bark, that's over. That's yep. not that type of bark. If they see you, it's only if they see you or if they see something or if they catch you moving and you're in the shadows, you should be sticking in the shadows anyway. But only if they see you, mm-hmm. you can get away with it and bark back and calm them down. But. Well, and I know it won't work every time, but what do you have to lose? Once exactly. an elk's barking at you, I mean, the gig's up. You're not right. going to kill that elk. Right. So, you know, um, yeah, I think I'm going to use that anytime they bark at me, whether yeah, it's the, whether they saw me or waited me or whatever, you know, I'm going to bark back and try that. But yep. yeah, just even to have a chance because anytime they bark, the gig's up. It's, it's like they take the whole herd and go, and it doesn't matter if a spike barks at you or if a cow barks at you, it's a done deal. So that's a really good tip. I'm yep. going to remember that. Yep, for sure. I, and I always have that, you know, it's in the toolbox, like I was saying, always yeah, and know what to do and when to do it and and have that trick available. And I always have like a grunt tube and a diaphragm with me. Mm-hmm. Usually when I cow call, it's always with a diaphragm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm ready for it. In mm-hmm. any situation I can, I usually end up not using the call very much. But yeah. At least you have it there for those situations. You never know. Yeah, for sure. No, that's a good tip. I got to practice my bark now when I get yeah. home. I'm yeah. going to drive my wife nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I got to get that down. That's a good trick. I like that. Yep. Um, you know, and have you ever been able to, you know, you blow elk, like you, you get in, you try to make a move and something happens and maybe you blow them up. Have you ever been able to keep with the herd after you spook them? Uh, very rarely. Mm-hmm. Uh, depends on how bad it's, it's one of those things. Again, usually if, if they just see me mm-hmm. and if they're spooky elk in the first place and they see me and they bump out of there, I can get back on them. But it seems like if they wind me, mm-hmm. I mean, they're into the next County mm-hmm. type. I mean, they're, yep. they're out of the country. Yep. So this, the, the reason why I ask is just because the last few years, you know, I, I've started, you know, and whether it's, um, you know, they spook because of me, you know, usually it's it's because you make a mistake or they catch a little wind or see or something, but the, the elk spook. Well, I've got this new tactic where it's like I got nothing to lose. They're spooked. And not that I'm, you know, going to go run down and kill one, but I try to stay with the herd. And they spook and they go up over the top. And, and it's tough to do, but you just kind of keep with that herd and try to travel with them. And I mean, it's, I mean, you're jogging half the time, sweat rolling in your eyes, and that's elk hunting to me. I mean, usually if I'm sweating or running or trying to cut them off, I feel like I'm elk hunting, but I've spooked the herd now quite a few times, like probably a dozen times, where I'm just able to keep with them, and I'm able to keep with them two, three, four, five miles, 
And they get over and they get to a certain comfort level once they get far enough away from you that they get back to being elk and mingling around and, and trying to relocate elk after you spook them is tough. But if you can keep with them and, and they just go over the rise and you race to that rise and you just get to that rise and then maybe you catch the last one going over the next rise and they travel country so fast and move through so much country. But if you can keep with that herd, a lot of times they'll settle back down and go back to being elk, you know, if you can follow them for long enough. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's I mean, you're more of a man than I am. I don't even know, I can remember what I've blown them out like that and stayed with them for a few miles. Well, yeah, <laughs> but they're they're gonna do. That's you're right though. I mean, yep. they're, they're going to calm back down when they're in their little safe zone again, mm-hmm. and they feel you know they've gone far enough or whatever's going on in the elk mind. Yeah, for them to calm down again, but. Well, and that's part of that. It's got to be open country where you can see where they're headed, yep. see the yep. next spot. But yeah, it's it's worked for me a few times now. And, and whether I spook them or somebody else spooks them or something, but I'll just catch a, a moving herd and I know they're moving and they're moving out. And, and boy, if I can just keep with them and it doesn't work every time, but every once in a while I stay with them long enough for them to settle back down and find their new spot and they go back to be an elk and you might get a second chance out of there. But yeah, you know, just something. And when you're coyoting the herd, heard you know and not so much spooked elk but like in the morning or in the evening when they're transitioning from that bedding to feeding a lot of times i mean you're moving like that those elk just even when they're transitioning they travel country they can lose you just in a snap of a finger and they're gone you know and so it's tough to coyote that herd and you got to kind of know when to slow down and when to look for them because otherwise you'll come right over a ridge and they'll all be standing there and you're you blow them up but a lot of times I use sight to see where they're going, but I also use their bugle. And I hear that bugle in a direction, and, and then I just I keep moving in that direction, and I keep trying to relocate and get eyes on them again and see where they're headed. But I, I use the visual, and then also I use you know their sounds and their bugles when they're rutting. And I'm, I'm not calling back and forth to that bull. I'm just listening for them. And I'll get to a spot, and I'll stop, and I'll look, and I'll listen. And then I'll hear them way up the drainage, and I go, God, how did he get up there already? You know? Yeah. And then I start heading to that spot. But you really want to try to keep with that herd and figure out where they're going. Yeah, and that's that's the hard part right there is as you're following them, well, an elk, their walk is probably equivalent to like a jog for us, mm-hmm. number one. Yep. But as you follow them, as you're going and you get into the, you know, the coyoting, you fatigue mm-hmm. and then your senses go down mm-hmm. and you become more careless. So it's the mental game of the whole deal mm-hmm. is the most important. Oh, it is too. Yep. Because if you let your guard down like that and you're blowing over ridges and, and you just bump them again, mm-hmm. then, you know, forget about you it. You forget about it. Yeah. I mean, like I say, I can keep with spooked elk every once in a while, but the majority of time when they're spooked, the gig's up. I yeah, mean, yeah. sometimes you can follow them and say, catch them being elk again, but the goal is to not spook them and try to coyote and make, you know, a really good high percentage play on them, you know, whether that's that morning or when they bed or in the evening. Um, and two, it's deceiving, like hunting elk, it's like a lot of instincts and it's a lot of like, okay, I got to slow down right now. And like you say, that mental game of, of knowing when to slow down and knowing when to look for them and, and, and you mess it up, you know, you make mistakes, but you get better and better at it at catching them before they catch you. You have to see them first. And so up over every rise, you got to slow down and they're moving country so fast that a lot of times you are jogging to keep up, but you got to know when to slow down and then creep over the ridge. You don't want to jog over the ridge. And and I can remember a nice six point. It was a nice bowl. 
really nice bull, as I remember, a big heavy one. And I was chasing coyote in the herd, and um, you know, I could I could hear him bugle. And the the problem is, is those bugles are deceiving, whether they're bugling at you, facing you, or bugling away from you. And so what had happened was, is this bull worked down into this bottom and he bugled facing away from me well it echoed off the far hillside and came back to me and it sounded like okay he's over there and you're always trying to when you hear him you're trying to place where that bugle was and so it echoed off the far canyon wall and came back to me and i went okay he's way down in there and i'm still coyote and hurt and i i went racing down to the bottom i mean at a half jog and i came over this rise and they were all at about 20 to 30 yards with this <laughs> giant 350 ball right there and i just walked i just ran right in the middle of them you know and made this huge mistake because I heard it echo off the canyon wall. And that's happened to me a couple times where I make that mistake. But I just hate that. Man, that just kills me when I make a mistake like that. Oh, yeah. I think we've all, anybody that's hunted elk has been there. Mm -hmm. And I've done the exact same thing. You know, they're bugling facing you. You're like, oh, this sucker's 50 yards on the other side of this hill. Mm -hmm. And he turns his head around and he bugles. You're like, oh, geez, he's 400 yards over there. Mm -hmm. And so I find myself like I have to hear him three or four times. Okay before I go and do anything like that mm -hmm. because like, you know, I struggle with pinpointing that because of those situations of just the direction that they're viewing changes, you know, how it sounds and where he is for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's tough. It's tough. No, it is tough. Well, and especially, you know, you're coyote in the herd and they may be moving two or three miles and you're moving with that herd, but all of a sudden they get to where they're going and then they slow down. And so you got to, that's what these elk did is they got to that bottom. They were going to bed right in that bottom. I mean, I know I would have killed that bull if I just would have slowed down or just would have yeah. known what he was doing. But I just thought they were going to continue moving up that draw and continue going up. And when I heard that bugle continuing going up, I thought, okay, I got to keep with them. I got to catch them here before they get their bed. And that's where you make your mistake. But yeah. I, I hate that when you just come right over the top and they're just right there, catch you with your pants down. <laughs> that's just the worst. No, I mean, it seems like that's what it ends up happening is you end up chasing your tail like that mm -hmm. and, and other times you think you're getting close and you slow down and you're sneaking in there and you're like oh yeah he's gonna be over the next rise and you get over there people over the next rise and then you hear a bugle and he's another 400 yards up there yeah and so then you're like oh i gotta get going yeah and so it's constant you know yo-yoing going fast slow down going fast and trying to stay with him and it's almost like you know, I wasn't going to say a disaster, but it's like, it's, it's it is. tough. It's tough. Oh, it's chaos. Yeah, that's it, a good way of putting it. It's chaos, and if it's controlled at some point, you might get a chance out. <laughs> yeah, that's totally <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Elk hunting is chaos, but, I mean, that's why we love it. That's, I mean, it is the funnest hunting. When I'm elk, I mean, I love mule deer. I love high country mule deer, but when I am hunting elk during the rut, uh, there's just it's so visceral it's so thrilling it's so exciting you know hearing the bugles and it's just this huge animal with this huge red there's nothing more exciting on planet earth than hunting elk with a bow and arrow i'm with you and it's it's funny because there's a lot of guys out there that they're mule deer guys only they'll just hunt mule deer with the bow and that's you know that's great but mm -hmm. i'm one of those guys well all animals are created equal. I'll kill all of them if I have the opportunity to. <laughs> yeah, for I sure. I love hunting them all, but yeah. I'm, I love elk. Oh, yeah. I just, I mean, for, for bow hunting, it doesn't get any better for me is chasing elk with a bow. Oh, I know. That's it. what I love to do. I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, it is the most exciting hunting I do you know, all season. It's just so much adrenaline running through your veins and hearing those things bugle and those big racks. And there's nothing like it. I mean, that is the most yeah. thrilling hunting out there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you got big plans for this year? 
Um, and I'll probably end up hunting generals again. Okay. See what I end up doing. Um, I did draw that Wyoming tag last year, but that was a, you killed an awesome bull in Wyoming and that was a wilderness hunt, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a a horse drop. So I, Mm -hmm. you know, rode in there and Ike dropped me off. Oh, how cool. Yeah. With my camera guy. And it was one of those really cool experiences living with the grizzly bears, which isn't the most fun, but, uh, the elk hunt was good and Mm -hmm. lots of action, lots of bulls to look at. And it's going to be a good one. I mean, he came in nine yards chasing another bull off mm-hmm. and right place, right time sort of thing. That's kind of an, another good point to bring up is I w- it was the first night I was in there and I was just on this ridge, just kind of getting a feel for what the elk were doing, what the bulls were doing in this basin and the few basins adjacent. And I did not plan on killing an elk that night. But there was one bull in there. There was a few bulls in this basin, and he chased. He's really aggressive, this bigger one, this 340 bull. And he chased. He was chasing off another six-point, and we were on his elevation, and he basically just chased him around to us. Mm-hmm. And it was just all about positioning. Oh, wow. I didn't call once. Mm-hmm. I didn't try to stalk anything. Mm-hmm. I was sitting back, relaxing, and just you know positioning, right? Yeah. And you've probably been in that same situation, too. I really didn't do anything other than just being in the right place. Yeah, the perfect spot. Yep. Uh, if only a guy could reproduce that and, and figure out how yes. to be in that perfect spot so much. Because when it when it goes right like that, uh, there's no stopping you. But that, yeah, how cool. Yep. You were just in the perfect spot where he wrapped around and came right to you. Yep, yep. And it goes back wide open. Mm-hmm. So I'm keeping tabs of him all the time. Mm-hmm. His movements, he's chasing bulls, chasing cows. And... You know, he came all the way around that base and kept his elevation, and I was on his elevation. Mm-hmm. You know that. You know, they, you kind of get an idea of where the elk are traveling in an area when they're not molested. Mm-hmm. They like to stay at that elevation. <laughs> molested. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. And, and that's all that was. Uh-huh. And so it's just being out there, and it's like, yeah, when the 340 bull comes over a hill at nine yards, you're probably going to shoot it. Oh, you know, yeah, I mean, guaranteed. He's catching an arrow. Here, yeah, yeah, right. And usually... We're a public land general tag hunter. If it's a six point, I mean, with your bow on a general mm-hmm. tag public land, no matter where you are, like, dude, you did a good job. That's a, that's a trophy. Yep, for sure. And so, yeah, hard to pass that up. Yeah, I mean, we always want bigger in the next level, but elk are just tough. And yeah, I'm I'm that same way. And I, I've shot, you know, I, I've set myself up seasons where I'm only going to shoot, you know, a, in 350 plus is usually my bar when I'm, sh- when I'm going for a giant bull, you know, and but your opportunities, you just get fewer and fewer opportunities. You only might get two or three opportunities to play the game. And I love to hunt elk so much. And it's, I mean, realistically, realistically, you're going to let a 320, 330, six-point walk. Like, that is tough to oh. do. I'm, the only way you can do it is if you know there's a great big one in there somewhere. And then you can kind of hold out for them. But, I mean, anymore, I just love to hunt elk so much that... You know, I kind of set myself up like if it's a nice 326 point, yeah, I'm psyched to go chase yeah. that thing and go try yeah. to run an arrow through him. So, no, I, I'm with you. A big 340 bull like that, yeah, I'd be pumped to run an arrow through that. It, it was a that's a great bull. Boy, it's just beautiful, really yeah. symmetrical, long time. I mean, there isn't anybody out there that wouldn't run an arrow through that bull. Oh, nobody yeah. I know. That's the thing. And, and <laughs> if I came back and I was like, yeah, and guy saw that footage, he'd be like, what are you thinking? <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> And I've kind of been there, in, you know, before, <laughs> you know, I'm just not hunting one tag a fall. Like I have two or three, you know, general tag elk hunts to go on. So mm-hmm. 
if a good bull comes by and it's good footage, it might even be a five point. Mm-hmm. Like I'm probably going to shoot it mm-hmm. because I get back and guy would be like, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't want to make the boss man. Yeah. Sure. No, I I'm with you. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a different deal too, when you're trying to capture it for TV. And I just kind of got into it last year, trying to capture it on video, but it's, it's such a fun challenge to it. It's so fun to tell the story and to be able to relive the story, you know, on a screen like that. So I really got into it last year. And, and same thing, I felt kind of that pressure that you've had on so many hunts. You've been doing it for longer than I have. But yeah, where you, you know, Guy and Ike are counting on you and, you know, they're, they're paying money for your cameraman and your permits and your stuff. And so you want to get a nice bowl, but you want to get a nice bowl on film. And so, yeah, no, I felt it last year and really wanted to come through and get a nice bowl. And, you know, so, yeah, I wasn't letting that six point going to walk by me at bow range. There's no way exactly. he was catching an arrow. Exactly. And if, yeah. If you have good footage, if it's like, you know, epic footage, mm-hmm. if this bowl comes in, I'll probably shoot a small one, mm-hmm. you know, because we're making TV shows. Mm-hmm. We're not going out trying to kill the biggest bull in the country. Mm-hmm. You, you can bet I'm still going to try to kill the biggest yeah, bull Yeah, hopefully in the both, but yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm both, with you. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it's all about, you know, producing and that pressure to do so. And if you, if you don't like pressure, you probably don't like bow hunting. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's so, exactly right. So I, I love the pressure. Mm-hmm. I and, do too. And of bow hunting, and it's just that next level. And so I don't know if it, you know, I get high off of it or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but it's just that much more you know, drive that it gives me to produce and, you know, bust my butt to make it happen. Absolutely. Yeah. So, no, I'm with good. you. It's no, good. the pressure is a good thing and you have to embrace it, you yep. know, and, and yeah. and yeah, there's so much pressure in bow hunting in general and then, you know, film and the, you know, it just stacks it on top of itself. But to, to thrive in that pressure, you grow as a person, you oh, grow man. as a hunter, you know, it, it, it you know, it just makes you a, a, a better, stronger person mentally, physically, everything. But yeah, that challenge is what 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 draws us to bow hunting. We love the yeah. challenge, and bow hunting is extremely difficult. You know, and and that's why we love it. You know, as when you are successful, it means so much to you. You know, you've worked the entire year shooting your bow and physical training and thinking about your spots and researching. That when it comes together, it is the highest of highs. You you did it, you accomplished it, and then to capture the whole thing on video, that feels pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I remember that well. I'm never going to forget the first bull I killed, but it took me a few years, you know, when I was mm-hmm. a teenager not killing anything. And I finally killed a bull with my bow, you know, on public land general in Montana. And I mean, it's one of those life changing experiences. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm, I cried, man. Mm-hmm. I believe it. Like yep. it's so much effort mm-hmm. for so many years. It is. And it's like, you finally achieve that. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few things in life that really, you man, you build character mm-hmm. so fast. <laughs> it's the highest of highs. Yeah. And, and you're right. That's what we're all chasing out there is that yeah. highest of yeah. highest. And it, like you say, killing a public land bull is really tough. And, and, you know, I, I had a few years too, where I didn't fill tags and even later into my hunting career. And, and, you know, I, I pride myself on, on killing a nice six with my bow every year, but yeah, there's been a few years where I just haven't, it just hasn't come together. It's so extremely difficult and takes years of work and years of, fine tuning your skills and, and, you know, evolving as a hunter. And, and and then when it finally does come together, you know, even if it's taken you one year, if it's taken you five years, it just means so much to you. You know, it's, it's such a great feeling. And I don't get that from anything else in life, but bow hunting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And those tough ones, I mean, so much sweeter. And that's, you know, like I said, those are ones that you really remember. You remember all of them, but 
you know, on those hunts like the moose hunt where mm-hmm. it happens the first hour. You know, you take those, mm-hmm. but you know that's not usually how it goes. Yeah, that's right. So you went moose hunting. It was your first trip moose yeah. hunting, and you killed it in the first hour of the first day of yeah. a 10-day hunt this year, right? Yeah. Ran an arrow through a good bull. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you didn't even really get the experience of moose hunting, but, I mean, you did, you know, in the next 10 days or whatever, and you have to take the easy ones with the tough ones. And, boy, imagine how mad guy would be if you didn't shoot that thing, oh, you know, on man. the first day. <laughs> because oh, you guys man. didn't see many bulls after that. Yeah, no, it was pretty tough hunting we got snow and yeah we didn't see have any other opportunities at bulls and you know if we didn't kill that bull <laughs> it'd be home empty with nothing yep and that's you know a tough pill to swallow sometimes you know especially when you're going that far up in the north country and you're burning two weeks of time mm-hmm. and fortunately that's bow hunting though mm-hmm. too I and mean, you got to be prepared to eat a tag every once in a while and mm-hmm. do every, everything in your power not to yeah for sure <laughs> but you're right it means so much more like when you have a a tough hunt and it yeah. comes down to the end of those days and then you close out on a nice six pointer you know like for me a lot of times i'll have some time but then i'm a weekend warrior and i'll stack 20 days of elk hunting into a season chasing six points and then to finally get it done at that end of the season and knock down a nice six point, it's just an absolute top of the world. And I, I ride that high for the rest of the year, you know, that's what, what keeps me going. But yeah, yeah, those are the ones you really remember. The The tougher they are, the more grueling, the more you suffer, just the better memory it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that is. I, I think after that first bowl, I, I woke up every morning that winter just feeling awesome. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that I finally got it done you yes. know, back in the day. Every morning, wake up, and it's just that feeling like, man, it's so worth it. And, you know, all that effort paid off. And it stays great with feeling. you. Yep. It stays with you for a long time. Yeah. Well, and, and two, once you do that time and time again, it, things just start to come easier. You know, you just you kind of believe in the process, you believe in your skills, and, and then they just start to come. You just start to kill more six points and more bulls and more opportunities. And so, yeah, it's just you kind of build on the success you have. You grow as a person, it grows your character, but then you just start to you start to unlock the secrets of bow hunting and believe in yourself more. I mean, a big part of being successful is just believing you can do it. Yes, that's, I mean, that's huge. Yep. If you don't believe you, you can't do it, it ain't happening. Nope. So, and that's the first thing, the first downfall to being unsuccessful in a lot of scenarios is yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You start beating yourself up or I can't do it. You never say those words. Nope. You never. don't do that. out. You have to stay positive. If you're a positive person, you have a positive mindset, you will be a successful bow hunter. Mm-hmm. And even after you make mistakes, you blow elk, you miss a shot, you just got to pick yourself up yep. and go, you know, I... I know what I did wrong. I'm going to make that shot on the next one. All I got to do is execute. And then I, I just keep believing that all I need is just a sliver of opportunity. All I need is that bull to step broadside just for a couple seconds and it's a done deal, you know? And yep. so you just keep driving and pushing to get that, just that sliver of opportunity you need to place a perfect arrow. But you start believing in yourself in the process and then it, it, it carries you through the hunt for multiple days and, and long days on hunts or like me, uh, even if I've only got a couple days on a weekend, I'm back out there and chasing from, from daylight till dark, you know, as much as I can to try to get on elk because i know i just need a little bit of opportunity and it's gonna happen yep yep just that one more chance and you, you always it's not over until it's over yep so the season's over or you can't hunt anymore or whatever 
and yep. you just got to persistence kills. I mean, I can't stress that enough. Oh yeah. You're so right. Persistence kills. Yeah, yeah. That's uh well, that's the motto for this podcast for sure is persistent kills, but um, yeah. no, it's great. It's uh, it's always fun to talk with you, Dan. We had some good conversations last night. You had me over for dinner there and we had uh, access deer, which was really good. Thanks. Good. Oh, so good. Yeah. Well, it's cooked perfect too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I always, I really enjoy hanging out with you. I really enjoy talking with you and it's fun to sit down and talk elk hunting you're super successful on elk and i so that video of your wilderness bowl this year you run the beyond the grid internet tv show is it going to be on that or is it going to be on the tv show um on the outdoor channel or where can we find that at yeah it'll be on the outdoor channel in december so it's going to be a little bit still Mm -hmm. it'll be a while but Oh, you got to wait forever after you kill yeah, one of those yeah, things yeah. to see it. Yeah, no, I've got yeah. a couple hunts I'm waiting on too. That um, it takes a long time in production to get no, them out does. there. But yeah, with scheduling and depending on what you want to run when, and sometimes you know the hunts in the fall they'll air. Like I think, oh, what was it? The moose hunt. I mean, I, that happened in October and it aired in January. So okay. some of them happen soon, and other times you know it takes a, a year or a year and a half for them to air. Depends on scheduling. Yeah. Well, in Eastman's, we have so many great hunts that are going on in the video that it's like, well, uh, get in, get in line. You know, you're behind a couple of great hunts like your moose or your elk or, you know, but yeah, no, uh, I'm psyched to see that. Yeah. That that wilderness experience you had up there and then killing that really nice bull. It's got to make some really cool video. Yep. Yep. And actually I'm going to post a couple things today, but we'll put snippets up, you know, on Instagram and Facebook and beyond the grid or whatever from that hunt. And I have already from that hunt but um we'll throw some teasers out there and stuff yeah for so. sure well and check out uh you're running the instagram and the facebook page for beyond the grid right yep yep you're, you're doing a great job with that beyond the grid the the couple episodes that are out are super and i know we got a third coming up um but but yeah make sure to check out it's a great follow on your instagram and on your facebook you've been working really hard at those pages so really fun to follow you there yep yep beyond the grid tv on instagram and you know facebook and we're working on a, a public land antelope hunt here with one of my longtime buddies he's actually my first client when i uh, started guiding seven eight years ago mm-hmm. and he's like he's like i call him my godfather i mean he's like okay the, the man now my uncle you know okay and so I still try to hunt with him every year. So it's a you know great experience with him. Killed an 80 inch buck here in in Wyoming, and so that'll be the next one up for Beyond the Grid there on YouTube. Okay, right on. Yep. Yeah, can't wait for it. Yeah. So right on. Well, uh, thanks as always, Dan. Really fun to sit down and talk with you. We'll catch up with you again soon. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks, Brian. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Another episode in the books. Uh, Dan Picard. Man, thanks to Dan. He really shared a bunch of tips and tactics and just a really fun episode with him. So that was really enjoyable to sit down and talk elk. And boy, after after uh, uh, laying down that podcast, that's uh, that's about all I feel like doing is hunting elk now. He got me so pumped up to go chase those things around. I Man, I really want a big bowl um, with my bow. I've got some really good six points with my bow, and I've done well. And, and year after year, it seems like I tag a nice six point. But um, you know how you're just always looking for that next level. And I'm, I'm willing to work for it and put in the hard work. And, and uh, you know, you just got to gotta hold off on those other nice six points to look for, uh, for a better six. Um, so I, I'm going to work on it. I got some huge goals for this season and really want to lay down a nice bowl. But um, thanks again to, to Dan Picard for being on. Um, thanks to Matthews for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, like I say, they're just building great bows. Um, I went to that Halon 6 this year and just super impressed. That thing's really laying in some good groups. So I know it's going to get some kills for me this season. So thanks to those guys for, for sponsoring the podcast. 
Um, man, and with that, I've just been outside as much as I can. It seems like springtime's here and a little bit nicer weather and uh, stays light longer. And um, man, I'm, I'm just really enjoying spring and enjoying life. I'm just, um, man, I'm, I'm out shed hunting, taking walks here and there. I've uh, been out fishing quite a bit and then and then just shooting my bows and getting my runs in. Um, but it just seems, seems like I'm busy every night till till eight or nine o'clock. And and that's the way I like it. I just like to keep myself really busy and, and doing as many things as I can. And so um, I'm just getting the most out of life right now, I feel like. And and uh, boy, I've been putting in for tags and about cleared out my bank account doing that but got some great hunts coming up and I just can't wait to start this hunting season I got spring bears and then oh I I, I did pull the trigger on that Hawaii hunting trip I just got these uh, new Hawaiian buddies that I've only known for about a year that um, ha- have really made it feasible for me to go over there and and uh, and hunt with those guys so just super nice guys um, I, I just can't wait for that so I'm gonna go in June for the axis rut um, bought my plane tickets, uh, bought some tickets for my family over there. So we're going to go over as a family and then, and then try to hunt some axis deer. So I'm super excited. It's just a new place on planet earth. You know, it's this, um, tropical rainforest I get to hunt in, you know, with surrounded by ocean. So just going to be really cool. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then, like I say, just putting in for a bunch of good tags and, um, we'll see what the state agencies, uh, give me for this year for hunting. So, um, Hope you guys are getting out and enjoying some things this spring, getting outside and, and planning some really good hunts. And, and uh, boy, w- with that, I mean, um, let's, in, let's end this thing. And, oh, I just want to, I gosh, I just always want to thank you guys for the support, the support on this podcast and the support on the Facebook and Instagram page. Um, make sure to give Dan some love, too. He's doing a really good job on that Beyond the Grid uh, internet, uh, internet Instagram page and, and Facebook page. Um, so make sure to give him some love there, but, but thanks a bunch you guys. And, and I'm the same way. I'm just trying to support the hunting industry as much as I can, I can. Um, you know, I get so much support from you guys that, that I, you know, if somebody comes out with a new video or somebody, you know, the hunting podcast out there, you know, what, whatever it is, I'm just trying to support the hunting community. Um, but wanted to thank you guys for that. So, um, with that, I'll check in with you guys next week and, uh, keep working hard towards your goals and, and, uh, we'll see you then.